Hello and welcome to ILTV Zion News and the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Aaron Porras. And I'm Natasha Kircha. Coming up in today's newscast, the latest election polls still fail to reveal a clear winner. Channel 13 airs a leaked recording of Prime Minister Netanyahu. And Jerusalem plays host to the European Flag Football Championships. Israel's elections are just two weeks away, but the polls are still pretty much frozen, showing Likud and the blue and white parties as practically neck and neck. In fact, the two leading parties are expected to earn 32 and 31 Knesset seats respectively, but the complications don't end there. A closer look at the numbers shows another tie in terms of who can form a government, too, because the Joint Arab List is looking to snag 10 seats, followed by Yamina at 9, United Torah Judaism at 8, and Shas Labor and the Democratic Union, each getting 7. That means that for now, it looks like the right, with Netanyahu as prime minister, would take 56 seats, while the left behind Benny Gantz would take home 55. The remaining nine seats in the Knesset then will likely go to Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Beitenu party, which is pushing for a unity government. So what can the parties do to reinforce their sides? Well, for one, Netanyahu is looking to cut down on divisions within the right-wing vote by shortening the list of right-wing parties, for example, by, vow by vowing to both adopt Moshe Feiglin's position to legalize cannabis and giving Feiglin a ministry portfolio, the Zehut party has agreed to quit the race. And now it's reported that Netanyahu is actually similarly working on getting the hard-right Otsmayudit party to drop out. And in return, Likud will push for legislation that would lower the electoral threshold, giving Otsma better luck in the next vote. And other parties, like Ayala Chaked's Yamina, agree that Otsma's abstention would be the responsible thing to do. Otsma is denying the reports of negotiations and is expected to run either way in the September ballot. The media is abuzz today as Israel's Channel 13 airs recordings appearing to show Prime Minister Netanyahu confronting the communications ministry after relinquishing control and being warned not to interfere with Channels 12, 13, and the Yes Network. In the 2017 tapes, Netanyahu was heard screaming at then-communications minister Ayub Kara to close the Cable and Satellite Broadcasting Council, which oversees cable and satellite stations in Israel. The prime minister also demands that Kara save the right-wing Channel 20, which lost the Knesset Channel broadcasting rights earlier that year. <laughs> Later, after reports of cooperation between Kara and former Justice Minister Ayala Chaked came out, Netanyahu asks Kara, have you lost it? Explaining that Chaked should not get credit for the Likud-led deal. While opponents are taking swipes at the right, with blue and white accusing the prime minister of undermining freedom of the press, and the Labour Gesher party is demanding investigations. But Kara, Netanyahu, and right-wing ministers are downplaying the event. Kara called the report despicable, hinting at a plot to hurt the right, shown by the very fact that the phones were tapped. And a recent petition filed with the Central Elections Committee alleges the same. But Attorney General Mandelblit already ruled that the media can legally publish leaks, and for legal reasons, the most likely sources of the leaks are actually Kara and Netanyahu themselves, 
leading many to now demand Kyle's resignation. As for Netanyahu, he's been quick to defend his actions, arguing that everything he did was in line with the Supreme Court's guidelines. And moreover, he says that he's proud of his fighting to save Channel 20 in the interest of balancing the voices in the press. And now joining us in the studio for more on the upcoming September elections, please welcome political analyst and former Likud Knesset member Naftali Ben-Simon and Mark Schulman, columnist for Newsweek and the editor of HistoryCentral.com. So let's begin. Let's talk about the polls. Bibi is now working to get Otsma to resign from the race, just like Feiglin. And other right-wing parties agree that that would be the sensible thing to do. Will this work? What is your take? I don't think it's going to make any difference. We've seen that the Feiglin resignation has not had any impact so far in terms of Netanyahu's poll numbers. Uh, you know, he got Kahlon to resign and join the Likud. It was zero effect. As a matter of fact, a negative effect. The result is that Likud was down and the Kahlon voters have disappeared completely. Probably went to Lieberman, although we don't know for sure. So the reality is nothing he has done has really worked. And he's basically stuck at the same 30, 31, 32, depending on the poll. And he can't get to 60, it looks like, without Lieberman. And if he can't get to 60 without Lieberman, it means he has no government. He has no government. It means at some point or another, um, his days are numbered. There are a few facts that we have to understand when we are talking about the Israeli elections. Uh, the cannibalism will start only uh, one week before the election. Everyone will try to eat everyone and especially the Likud party, who will try to almost crush the right wing and Otsma and other parties to get more and more mandates because this, the key question is who will get even one more mandate? Is blue and white or the Likud? Who will be invited to the president to form a, a government? So in my opinion, the polls now are almost a, a, a balance, a 50-50, mm -hmm. but it, I think the real action will start next week or maybe 10 days from now, uh, and then we will see mm -hmm. the, the real fight. I think though, there's two things. One is, remember, the law does, it doesn't say that it's the largest party, it's the party with the greatest chances of forming a government. That's right. the party that has the most recommendations. So who Lieberman is going to recommend is going to be key here in making that decision. And Lieberman has made it clear he will only recommend the first party that agrees to a coalition government. So we'll see how that works out. Number two, look, again, it's, it's a sense, it's a feeling, but it's a feeling that this time the gewalt that I may lose the, the, may lose the government may not work because I think a lot of people are saying, well, maybe in, in terms of the right, mm -hmm. well, maybe Netanyahu will lose, but the right might not lose. And I think there's that sort of sense. There's a certain sense of tiring of going through this again and again and again. The Gewalt has worked once, it's worked twice. Gewalt being the Yiddish term for the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We're going to lose the right-wing government. And that's worked previously. I don't think it's going to work as well this time. Yeah. So we'll have to see, but I think it's going to be very hard. Yeah, this whole election is, is about one man, Avigdor Lieberman. He's the key person of this election. He's the man of the hour. And it's not the Prime Minister Netanyahu, and it's not Benny Gantz. And he will maybe, for the first time, will decide who, what kind of government we will have and who will be the next Prime Minister. 
And this is amazing because to see Lieberman from a position of five, five mandates becoming the key person of this election, this is uh, unprecedented and this is really something that uh, uh, shows a lot about this brilliant politician, Avigdor Lieberman. Well, but so, so, so something that you know, I kind of wanted to point out, though, is that Lieberman's vote, one way or the other, is powerful here. But either way, Kacholavan needs the Likud's numbers to create the government, and the Likud would need Kacholavan's numbers. Bringing us to the question of a coalition, is there a chance? Well, the only, the only chance of a coalition, again, is if, if Prime Minister Netanyahu is replaced inside the Likud. You're hearing those rumblings, you're hearing those talk. You know, they always said that not one person was ever willing to go up against Netanyahu, but if it was a group of them, you know, Netanyahu better watch out. You know, the king, when you go up against the king, you've got to make sure you're going to win I, against the king. I will take a risk and I will say that if Prime Minister Netanyahu, we will not have a, the ability to form a, a government of the right, he will not be the next Prime Minister of Israel. Even if we will have a larger or unity government, in any scenario besides of his own government, the uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu will not be the next Prime Minister. Well, so what, what, about, what about the third option where there is no coalition? We go to thir the third election. No way, no way, no way, no, 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 no way. There's no reason to think it's going to change. Let's keep in mind something else that Lieberman did, why he was so brilliant. He picked on the area that most Israelis agree with. 68% of Israelis want a government without the religious parties. And one of the, I think, uh, disastrous decisions that Netanyahu made was putting Rafi Peretz as the education minister. Because Rafi Peretz as the education minister represented everything that Israelis don't want to see as an education minister. Yes, Bennett was from the religious party also, but Bennett was something else altogether. He wasn't a rabbi. He talked about math. He talked about all those sort of things. Rafi Peretz was exactly what the average uh, non-religious Israeli does not want to see as their education minister. And that's united yeah. people in saying, we want a government without them. One more, one more comment. comment. Uh, it's not that uh, uh, Lieberman uh, don't want to see the religious parties in the government. He, he's not against Judaism. He's not against, uh, uh, they say that he makes some uh, uh, anti-Semitic uh, uh, comments or something like that. No, this is not the case. For the first time, we have a brave politician who said uh, uh, politicians, ultra-Orthodox politicians, and Judaism does not go work together. All right, so and that we brings, have to separate. Well, that brings us to the, the final question. You're going to have to give us short answers on this one. How do you think Lieberman will vote? Well, Lieberman, I think, will go with Kachol Avan, assuming that they agree to a coalition. He's going to be a man of his word in this particular case. Um, I don't think it makes a difference whether Kachola has 30, 31, 29, 33. It's not really relevant. I think the chances are very, very high that they get the first mandate to try to form a government, because I don't think Netanyahu mm -hmm. can form that government. But w we, have, we have a political crisis in Israel, and I think that only a unity government can solve this problem. It can change the political system, because until now, it doesn't work. All right. Well, thank you both so much for coming in. I guess we're going to just have to wait and see what happens, right? As per usual, elections thank are coming so up on September 17th. Mark Shulman, Naftali Ben-Simon, thank, thank you, you very much. In other news, Iran is threatening to take another strong step away from the 2015 JCPOA nuclear deal if European powers cannot offer new terms by the deadline of the end of this week. And Iranian diplomats are now traveling to France and Russia for last-minute talks aimed at averting that very situation.
But primarily, the Islamic Republic is looking to sell its chief export of crude oil on the global market after increasingly push it, punishing U.S. economic sanctions imposed by the Trump administration have halted those sales. باید نفت ایران خریداری شود و پولش نیز تمهیدی اتخاذ شود که در دسترس قرار گیرد و به ایران باز بگردد این موضوع مذاکره ماست Also Iranian President Hassan Rouhani indicated that it's up to the United States to rescind sanctions while the other P5 plus 1 powers must uphold the JCPOA otherwise Tehran will enact its third still undisclosed next step in breaking the agreements اگر کار مهمی اونها انجام ندادند ما حتما قدم سوم رو در روزهای آینده برخواهیم داشت. But Iran is not willing to sit with the United States until all these demands are met, which is unlikely. And anyway, critics say that to agree to Iran's terms would be a grave mistake, as Iran already breached the JCPOA deal. For one, the International Atomic Energy Agency confirmed last week that Iran's stockpile of low enriched uranium still exceeds the amount prescribed in the JCPOA. And in addition, Tehran is said to be hindering IAEA inspectors at an alleged nuclear warehouse in Tehran, the very same site that Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu identified as a suspected atomic site in his address to the UN in September 2018. And unidentified diplomats told the Wall Street Journal that Iran was refusing also to answer questions put to it by the IAEA. Also in July, Israel's Channel 13 reported that following Netanyahu's claims, IAEA inspectors visited the site several times and removed soil samples, subsequently concluding definitively that there were traces of radioactive material there. Iran denies the reports. On a related note, Iranian terror proxy Hezbollah is now claiming victory in Sunday's exchange of fire along the northern Israeli border. And referring to the anti-tank missiles fired from Lebanon, Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah says that he broke Israel's red lines to send a message. But stark rhetoric aside, Nasrallah's comments appear to be in line with the IDF's goals of calming tensions along the border. In fact, easing anxieties in the north by giving Nasrallah a win, so to speak, is what led to the IDF's faking of two injuries during the Sunday strikes. In any way, Israel's initial cross-border attacks were instigated by Hezbollah and Iranian forces' attempts to attack Israel with drones. And despite Nasrallah's message, Israeli leaders are still vowing to react harshly to any aggression. <laughs> Now, this is unusual. Hundreds of Palestinian women are demonstrating outside the office of the Prime Minister of the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah. They're demanding an investigation into the recent murder of a Palestinian woman, which is believed to be a so-called honor killing. 21-year-old Bethlehem makeup artist Isra Graeb is believed to have been beaten and chased by her brother Ihab on the orders of their father. 
While attempting to flee the violence, Grayeb fell from a second-story balcony, causing spinal injuries. She was hospitalized for a broken spine and cuts to her face, but during her recuperation, she was reportedly assaulted a second time in the hospital. Video footage has emerged online of her screaming during the alleged attack, and the exact circumstances of Grayeb's death are unclear, with her family claiming that she died from a heart attack. So what offense did Grayeb commit, according to her family? Well, her so-called crime was the decision to post a video on social media of herself walking unaccompanied with the man who had just proposed to her. The man was known to the family, which had approved of the impending marriage, but they were not considered formally engaged. Among very conservative Muslims, their going out and chaperoned would be considered inappropriate at best and potentially deeply shameful, which seems to be the case in this instance. The Palestinian Authority has vowed to investigate the case and bring any perpetrators to justice. Women's rights activists acknowledge that the PA has amended arcane laws that once provided leniency in honor killings. The perpetrators often go unpunished, with authorities seemingly reluctant to get into what are considered private family matters. Moving on, just when you thought you'd heard the end of the latest judo saga, Iranian judoka Saeed Molai goes and surprises us all. Yeah, that's right. It's because in complete opposition to his native country, Molai has now taken to Instagram to share his congratulations with Israeli judo champion Sagi Muki. Well, Muki, for his part, is responding in kind, commenting on Molai's post, Thank you, you're an inspiration as a human being and as an athlete. But the moment of extraordinary sportsmanship comes hard won. Because just to speak with his Israeli counterpart, Molai had to escape Iran's grasp to Berlin and denounce Iran's pressures to withdraw from matchups against Israelis. The same pressures that forced the Iranian judoka to throw the world judo semifinals in Tokyo last month in the first place. In fact, in an interview with the International Judo Federation, the judoka says that because of the law in Iran, he was threatened and obliged not to fight against his Israeli opponent. As for the IGF, President Maurice Weiser is looking to do everything in his power to not only enable Molai to compete, but to also punish the Iranian Judo Federation pending an investigation. And finally, after aiding in Molai's escape to Germany, Weiser is also helping Molai compete in the 2020 Olympics, albeit under a different flag. He explains that it's our mission to protect our athletes. Speaking of sports, you may find this surprising, but there are Israelis who play American football. There are, Aaron. There are. And actually in all of its forms. In fact, a major international flag football championship has just taken place in Jerusalem, and ILTV's Nittany Manson went to check it out. This last weekend was a huge one for Israel because Jerusalem played host to the ninth European flag football championship. This competition hosted over 400 players from 21 teams and 12 countries, all competing for that one goal the gold. So what is flag football? Well, the rules are pretty similar to regular football, but this is a non-contact sport. So instead of tackling your opponent, the goal is to pull off the flags attached to his or her belt. The International European Championships have been happening every two years since 2003. But don't think the players get any time off, because in the off years, they also compete in the World Championships, which next year will be held in Copenhagen. What's your favorite thing you've eaten so far? We didn't know about the kosher food before. <laughs> kosher food is good, but you have to sneak out for some good stuff. It's not allowed. It's not allowed. <laughs> no. Is this your first time in Israel? Uh, yes. <laughs> Today we took a tour in Old Town. Now we can focus on games. <laughs> Probably not used to the heat, right? No, no. I live in Scotland, so we're definitely not. No. So, wondering who won big this year in Israel? 
Oh, oh what a beautiful, beautiful Spain took it home for the women. And there they go. And congratulations. A to Spanish, the Spanish team. mob at midfield. And over on the men's side, Denmark came out on top. Israel's men's team didn't do too shabby either, coming in at fourth place. But being the hosting team, I'm sure it still felt like a gold. What does it mean that the championships are here in Israel this year? Well, the fact that we're hosting all of these countries and all these teams and bringing them to Jerusalem, I think, is an amazing thing in itself. Jerusalem is a lot more than what they read in the newspapers, not only for history and culture, but also for sport. It took us a long time to get ourselves into the flag world. This is unbelievable. We're like sitting here in a dream. <laughs> How old are you? Uh, I'm 26. 26? I need, I need 30. Oh. I do like sweet. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, Nittany. Oh, look like Nittany had a lot of fun there, huh? Nittany's having a great time. But... She's on the hunt for a boyfriend, <laughs> just so y'all know. Well, it would be their honor. It would be their it honor be to their have Nittany. Well, moving on. Moving on. If you things. are looking for a taste of everything that Israel has to offer, for the best of what Israel has to offer, Delicious Israel is a touring company offering curated food tours around the markets and back streets of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And Altiv's Emmanuel Kadosh teamed up with them to learn about and taste some of the best aspects of Israeli cuisine and culture. We are back here at the Machneyud, a market or shuk, right here in Jerusalem. We're teaming up with the delicious Israel girls to see what they're going to have us taste, where they're going to take us, and I can't wait to get exploring. What's interesting about Jerusalem is we have all of these awesome restaurants, and they're mostly going to be kosher. Right. So the chefs have to get so creative. You've got, you know, a meat restaurant that needs to have several vegetarian options, but they've got to be dairy-free, and that's where the chef's creativity really comes out. So this is our first stop. So here we are at Arifa Sabih. So we finally got our Sabih meal. What we have inside is our fried eggplant. Uh, we've got some tomatoes, some cucumber. We have uh, tahina, that's our sesame paste. Hard-boiled egg, and we have amba, our mango, tangy mango sauce. So all of these contents are actually what Iraqi Jews used to eat on Saturday mornings back in Iraq. And then they came to Israel and they brought with them this breakfast food. And what do we do in Israel? We shove food in a pita. Wow. Right? That eggplant is unreal. Yeah. Now we have to actually yeah. eat the whole thing. Yeah. How do you make this look cute? We're about to go try one of my favorite things in Israeli dessert cuisine, you can say, the rugelach. It's this chocolate-looking croissant melted with delicious goodness, and it's best served hot. You can hear it sizzling, and oh, everyone comes here from all over the world to try this delicious chocolate croissant-looking piece of heaven. So basically what makes this regular very special, you have a lot of uh, cocoa in it, a lot of <laughs> coconut oil, and basically what I love about regular is that um, if you think about Yiddish culture, it's a very Yiddish kind of dessert, very Eastern European. So the regular actually has no uh, dairy in it. So it's considered palve, you yeah, say? Yeah, exactly. Ooh, I know nice. how it turns. Next up, we are going to Jacqueline Bar to have something delicious. Ooh. I love the energy at the shuk. I can't explain it. <laughs> we're about to eat malawa. It is a Yemenite, flaky, delicious flatbread, and we're gonna have it kind of like a pizza. What we're working with is 
some tahina, some grated tomato, which we always find with our Yemenite bread. We've got some fried eggplant, if you didn't already have enough. We've got fried onion, olive, uh, green onion, and uh, hard-boiled egg with za'atar on top. You're eating with me. This is a yeah. mess. Oh, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm not doing this long. All right, guys, thank you so much for showing me around. I know we didn't get to do the official Delicious Israel food tour, but I can't wait to come back for part two. And for everybody coming on a Delicious Israel food tour, make sure not to eat breakfast. Thank you very much! All right, well, now that we've had something to eat, let's take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should be mostly clear and warm with a low of 76 or 24 degrees Celsius. And then tomorrow you can expect partly cloudy skies and a high of 86 or 30 degrees Celsius. That is it for today's news. Today's exchange rate is 3.54 shekels to the American dollar. For more news from ILTV, please subscribe to ILTV on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm Aaron Porras. And I'm Natasha Kierczak, and thanks for watching.